The music teacher says it was consensual sex. His former students say it was rape. He had sex with me once in the classroom, um, in a closet. Something happened to me, too. I thought he was our little predator. Why wasn't he stopped? These women seek answers and justice. I'm Julie Ireton, host of a new podcast, The Band Teacher. It's available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Just that somebody could be this diabolical. This is a CBC Podcast. As you've been hearing, former RCMP intelligence officer Cameron Ortis has been found guilty of leaking secret information. Among the charges, sharing privileged information to someone with links to organized crime. He says he will appeal this decision. Stephanie Carvin is an associate professor in the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. Former national security analyst. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning. Just remind us what role Cameron Ortis had with the RCMP. Well, you know, the the RCMP needs to be informed of intelligence in order to inform its police investigations, right? Um, in Canada, we have a pretty hard separation between intelligence gathering and then gathering evidence, right? And he worked in a shop where um, the RCMP kind of uh, could oversee everything without allowing that intelligence to leak over into the evidence side, mostly because we're always trying to protect sources and methods in this country, Mm. and we don't want any of that intelligence to end up in the courtroom. So it was a pretty specialized shop, and he had extremely privileged access as a result. And he was a pretty high-up official as well. So um, it's hard to kind of overstate the shock that happened when 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 he was arrested on these charges. What was he found guilty of? So there were six charges involving a piece of legislation called the Security of Information Act. And this is a, a piece of legislation which effectively uh, designates certain individuals as permanently bound to secrecy. So in other words, you know, if you used to work at the uh, Canadian Security Intelligence Service as a spy or even as an analyst, um, or if you worked, uh, say, at the communication security establishment, you can't then pass on that information you know, you can't write up fancy memoirs and, and give away all the state secrets. Mm. Or um, in this case, you know, he, uh, Cameron Ortis was accused of actually selling that information. So there were six violations of that act. Um, some of them were just, you know, tampering with a computer for a criminal act as well, I think. But um, yeah, it was a pretty uh, resounding victory for the Crown. This is an interesting case in part because his testimony took place behind closed doors, right? Given the nature of, of the, the, some of the secrets that he had access to. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really important uh, point. I mean, this was a really kind of risky case for the Crown. I mean, even if it did seem like a bit of a slam dunk, I mean, they were able to produce a an email where he was literally trying to sell information for $20,000. Um, but yeah, this is part of the problem is that you're accusing someone of selling information uh, that's classified. And then you have to kind of talk about that information in court in such a way that, you know, perhaps without giving away that information uh, that would compromise it further. Mm. So this was a very delicate balance. Um, Certainly the Crown in the past has um, struggled in cases where high levels of intelligence are involved. But, um, you know, they went through with it and they they did a good job. Do we know what his motive was in doing this? 
No, it, you know, that's such a good question. When we, when we talk about someone like Cameron Ortis, we usually call them insider threats. And there's different acronyms we can use to describe their motivations. Uh, the one I like is, is pretty simple. It's called MICE, which is money, ideology, compromise, and ego, money being financial profit, um, ideology being, you know, motivated to, to do something for some higher purpose, mm. compromise because you're being blackmailed, and ego because, you know, maybe there's a kind of thrill in, in doing it. In this particular case, um, we think it was we think it was the first. We think it was primarily financially motivated. Uh, there was some speculation early on when he was arrested because uh, he had done academic work on China and may have had some uh, ties to China. But that doesn't appear to have been the case. If you look at the individuals he was targeting uh, with this information he was trying to sell, it was purely in the criminal realm. And um, so you have to think it was probably money and maybe a little bit of ego as well. You said that this was a significant verdict domestically, but also important as a sign to our allies. Tell, tell us more about that. And, and, and in particular, what this would mean, this kind of verdict to our allies. Right. So, you know, one of the questions I get asked when we refer to this case is, oh, doesn't this make us look bad? And the reason for that is Canada is a net importer of intelligence, right? We're a net consumer. We consume more intelligence than what we actually put out in the world. And that makes us very dependent on our allies. And if our allies think that we're not being careful with the information um, or that we're not taking these kinds of leaks seriously, that actually jeopardizes our national security. We may be cut off from intelligence sharing, uh, even if we are in some of these, um, you know, pretty sophisticated uh, relationships. Because the concern is the secrets won't stay secret. Exactly. So I think, you know... All countries have leakers. All countries have had this experience. So Canada is not an exception in any way here. But where we do need to show that we're serious about this is in the prosecuting of these offenses. So I think what this uh, verdict does demonstrate to our allies is that we we can prosecute these offenses when they happen and that, you know, other countries can trust us with this information because we will pursue these individuals with uh, criminal charges and successfully prosecute them should they uh, attempt to do so in, in the future. We just have a minute or so left. The Crown says this is they're going to be looking for a 20-year sentence. Um, he says, and his lawyers say that he's going to appeal, but 20 years, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty serious offense, right, what, what this individual did. Um, I'm thinking back to, um, you know, and just to be clear to the audience, I'm not a lawyer. Sometimes I can <laughs> pretend on the radio. Um, <laughs> but if you look at other cases, you know, the only other case where we really had uh, the Security of Information Act was Jeffrey Delisle, who was a naval intelligence officer mm. uh, back in, I think, 2012. He pled guilty, so there was no trial. Uh, and he was sentenced, he was given a lengthy sentence. I mean, ultimately, he got out well before his sentence was actually complete. So we'll see if that happens in this case. But I think the Crown wants to make a point here, right? Like, don't do this. And if you're caught, we're going to prosecute you and ask for a very long time for you behind bars. I'm glad to talk to you as always, Stephanie. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Stephanie Carvin is an associate professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. She's also a former national security analyst. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.